Welcome to Thinking Real Estate, a podcast by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins. Thinking about the future of cities, regeneration, and defining prosperity in urban areas to help change the way we live and work for the better. Okay, welcome to this podcast uh, on the mid-market proposition for retirement housing. I'm Kyle Holling. I'm a partner at Trowers and Hamlins, specialising in healthcare with a particular focus on the retirement sector where I've been working for a number of years. I'm joined by Michael Vogues and Samantha Rowland. I'm just going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, thank you. I'm uh, Director of the Operational Capital Markets team at Savills, focused on senior living in both UK and Europe, and I specialise in healthcare for the last 15 years. I'm Michael Vogues. I'm the Executive Director of Arco. We're the trade association for operators of housing with care developments or retirement communities, as we call them, uh, here in the UK, consisting of both private and not-for-profit operators. But perhaps it might be helpful to say how that's different from care homes and retirement housing to maybe locate roughly where we are. Yeah, I think one of the things we were going to start with was to look at the overall shape of the retirement market. Uh, first and I think that's a good lead in so there's obviously the distinction between retirement housing and housing with care uh, and care homes is is perhaps the other end of that spectrum so Michael do you want to just just really briefly that we've done quite a bit of customer research to ask older people how they understand this sector and the easiest way to explain to them and I think to other stakeholders too is that you have on the one hand if you look at specialist housing and care options for older people you have retirement housing or traditional sheltered housing, and that typically you would have a warden who is there um, maybe you know, part-time or maybe just during the day, typically a, a smaller number of units. Um, and that would have a shared lounge, but in terms of the amenity, that would probably be it. On the other end of the spectrum, you have care homes, which I think we all have a conception of, uh, where people are in rooms that are either en suite or not. But then you have that big middle bit where uh, in a retirement community, you, you rent or you buy an apartment of your own, there's 24-hour staffing on site, there's meals available, critically there's access to domiciliary care if and when you need it. Um, so it's very much aimed at providing the support that people may need, but without having that intense care experience that you have in a care home. So very much the kind of the 21st century solution, and that's really where all the money and the investment is going because that sector is very much undersupplied. Yeah, and I think we would say, probably agree between us that... Uh bigger part of the market if you're looking at the retirement specifically at present is retirement housing so sort of more purely age-restricted housing without all of those service wraparounds that you mentioned Michael but as you say that seems to be where the predominant investment interest and the sort of growth activity certainly is at the moment and where we where we see that continuing so that's a really good I think introduction to the sector that we're looking at Maybe again, Michael, if I can ask, give us a, a brief overview of the, the sort of size of that retirement housing uh, with care in particular market. Uh, and then we can drill down and look at, you know, the mid market within that. Uh, and it's a, it's a small market, isn't it? So It's quite small right now. So in the UK, there's only about 60,000 units of this at the moment, um, providing about, um, providing, providing accommodation for about 75,000 people. And that equates to about 0.6% of the over 65s in the UK. And we know from other countries like Australia, New Zealand, or the US that that housing with care market is 5% or above and growing. So it is a very small market here in the UK, but I think that's also why there's so much interest in it. In terms of the shape of the market, people are often quite surprised because I think the public image, and it's something we're working on, is very much that retirement communities are you know, dominated by upmarket retirement villages that are expensive and, and for only those who can afford it. 
And while there are those in the UK, which are fabulous, by the way, two thirds of this sector is actually provided for affordable rent. So you have uh, a much higher chance in the UK if you are an older person of maybe more moderate means, who might be assisted in their housing and care costs by the local authority, you have a, not a good chance, but a better chance of ending up in a, in a or, or being able to live in a retirement um, community. But there really isn't very much in the middle between the luxury retirement villages and that affordable rented sector. Yeah, and Sam, I think my experience is that the operator base, the investment interest has very much started at that, that top end, but there is increasingly a desire to look at the mid-market and open that up. Is that your experience? Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of interest in it. It's creating a product that's going to actually going to work for everybody, whether or not that will be on a, a rental market um, offering, uh, a sales offering. Um, ideally, what you've got to realise is you've got your income, you've got your bill costs, and then you've got to make the whole thing stack up. Investors are going to want a, a commercial product at the end of the day. Yeah, there's absolutely that that need to make things work financially. And if you're working at the top end in some of the higher value areas across across England and in around London and the southeast, uh, being as usual a good example, that's that's easier to do. And I think we're going to come on and talk about some of the some of the things that we see or think that the market might need to see to try and unlock the mid market. So just before we go on to that, I was interested to touch on the question of what we mean by mid-market, because I think to start to frame that, we can then start to look at what are the solutions driven by, you know, what are the questions, what are the differences between the stuff that we have seen uh, to date in the market, which as we've said is sort of either at the, the social affordable housing end or at the premium end. Um, how do we move beyond that and start to, to fill that gap, which has clearly got a larger, much larger number of people in it. Um, and we are talking about an age group who, uh, as we move into the baby boomer generation, uh, have housing wealth and and certainly compared to the generation of people following, which includes uh, the three of us around the, uh, around the table here, uh, you know, access to pension wealth and so on. Uh, so, yeah, we, what, what do we mean by the mid-market? Um, how could we go about defining that? I think it's more of a product that is accessible to um, the majority of people. Um, it may mean uh, developing on a, on a larger scale in terms of massing. It may mean uh, variation in amenities, looking at what else is around outside the campus effect compared to what you're actually building on site. I think potentially there's some opportunity for, for the house builders to come involved in terms of actually delivering a turnkey product or a ready, ready to go product with the economies of scale that they're able to derive in house. And then obviously either let it to someone on a management contract or to an operator to, to operate it. So I think there's, there's, there's quite a few ways of structuring it. I think for me, that it depends really on where you're looking at it in the country because I think, yeah. you know, the mid market in, um, the Midlands, I think what you're really looking at is um, the mid-market for me is something that the average person in any locality would be able to afford if they were to choose to move to a retirement community. And I think um, obviously if you're looking at like in Cobham, uh, I'm sure if you were offering apartments there for £300,000, that would probably be accessible to the vast majority of homeowners there. Um, if you did the same thing in 
um, rugby, for example, I'm sure you'd be probably restricting your options somewhat. So it very much depends on on where you sit. Yeah, and I guess that's perhaps the answer is the market, to open up a mid-market, to open up the opportunity to to deliver great services and to sell the product, whether that's a full sale or full rent product or something in between, uh, to a, a bigger a bigger group of people, you know there are, there are a range of different things that people have got to look at. Clearly, the service offer has to remain attractive, and the living environment, the physical environment, has to remain attractive. But inevitably, there will have to be some concessions made by comparison to some of the very sophisticated sort of five star high end product that we we see out there in the market these days. So that probably leads us into that question of you know we started to talk about things that you might look at to unlock that mid-market to, to, to generate that, uh, that affordability without, without tipping the balance too far uh, across into you know, making things less attractive than they need to be to, to, to be saleable. So do we, do we have views, uh, guys, just in terms of you know, what sort of structures or what sort of models or other things that we need to look at as a, as a sector, as a market, in order to, to further open up that mid-market proposition? Yeah, I think there's probably three things to look at. And Sam has mentioned one of them, which is around build costs, which I think is quite critical. And I think we will need to find ways of building cheaper and maybe not taking over listed buildings that you then do up and they're <laughs> terribly expensive to maintain as well. Yeah. And I'm actually, you know, some people say, oh, doesn't that lead to standardization? I am much more relaxed about that. Because if you think about what customers really value about their stay in a retirement community, the likelihood that they will recommend their retirement community to a friend is actually hard. It's not very related to the property, but it's mainly about services. So we know that from quite large scale research that people recommend the community they're in if they're happy, if they're feeling safe and secure, if they have a great general manager and the services are great, then the property is actually a secondary consideration. And I think. Bringing build costs down to make things more affordable from an entry price point, yeah. I think, is one way one we can we, we can do this. Um, the second one really is um, scale of the project, and I think it's interesting that um, you know the orderly scheme in Watford that's two hundred and fifty units, I believe, and that has a big impact on uh, service charge affordability. And I think you see that the most successful company in this mid-market is the Extra Care Charitable Trust, who again, their sweet spot is about 250, 250 units, where you can really spread those costs for those services and offer a service charge, uh, which is very competitive, bearing in mind that affordability is not just about the entry price, or cost of, of renting, but it's the ongoing cost as well that you need to afford. And then the third one is um, about charging mechanisms and event fees, but maybe we'll come to that later. Yeah, well, actually, I think that's probably a good time to move on to that part of the customer proposition, which is something that the market is definitely moved towards uh, anyway. I certainly think you and I, Michael, would tend to agree that the, that the 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 desire for operators to assume more risk and therefore to create a risk transfer between the customer and the operator, certainly by comparison to traditional uh, residential leasehold products where, you know, whatever it costs to run the estate or the building, although there are qualifications and tests that make sure that uh, things are done in a reasonable way, that cost will be passed to the occupiers. And, and, and that's not what the retirement product is about. It's about uh, giving uh, all the people peace of mind and the ability to um, enjoy quality life of life without having to think about all those things in the same way. So that assumption of risk is key. Event fees, which for the uninitiated are, are a 
a deferred fee model where in return for the operator assuming some risk, a good example is fixing the service charge so that it's not that pass-through risk to the customer. Assuming a risk like that in return for a proportion of the value of the property when the person eventually exits, which goes to the operator. So it's it's giving up some, <clears throat> some equity uh, in your home in return for the assumption of risk by the operator. Certainly, we I, I would think we see that as one of the key ways of unlocking the mid-market. It creates the potential for a bit of a sliding scale where you can look at values in any area, look at costs, and try and work out what proportion of equity you might need to ask people to commit to give you as an operator in order to provide them with affordability, both in terms of their entry price and the cost of stay, if you like. That's certainly something that we see being sort of bandied around as a potential means to solve the problem. <clears throat> Samantha, I think we've talked about others' yeah. sort of solutions as well. I think choice and flexibility is going to be key going forward because historically we've had the sale model. There is a lot of talk about the rental product as well at the moment. Um, we're starting to see some some of the operators and developers almost do a try before you buy to, to get people, um, obviously, in schemes. If you look at the sales rates for this type of product, they can take time. And if you're building out 250 units, that could take a while to sell. Conversely, for the rental model, you could have people in almost day one. Uh, from an operational perspective, the whole machine starts to turn. So I definitely think choice and flexibility is going to be key going forward. And if there is some sliding scale in terms of the event fee, fixed service charges, it's, it's all for the good. I think this is something for me that I find interesting because I think the flexibility of tenure model goes beyond just offering rental, but also effectively we actually think that this sector in the long term will need to get away from using leasehold altogether because it is a contract that I would form today with Samantha if I was selling you a flat and then you would sell that to Kyle but on the terms that we agreed so I can't sell you a cheaper unit because you could then capture the equity uplift from Kyle and I think effectively what other countries do because the the unit always reverts back to the operator on resale I can then decide, do you know what, in return for a higher payment at the back end, I can sell you a cheaper unit, which again opens up you know, that entry point, makes it easier. Yeah. I think that's why we're, we're doing quite a bit of work on um, new models of tenure and what like, you know, occupational rights agreements could look like. I think the big question that people have been asking is around, um, will people in the mid-market be more or less likely to want to give up equity? Because this is in all likelihood their greatest asset. And something that probably has made them more money than any other form of gainful employment in terms of the savings that they have uh, at the end of their lives. Now, there's two schools of thought. There's some people who say people will not want to give up a share of their of their house. But then someone in this industry that I respect a lot, one of one of our one of our members, was saying, interestingly, the people at the top end, they probably have much more choice. So they probably have good occupational pensions. They're freeing up more money. And if they really wanted, they could stay in their own homes. They could go for different charging models if they wanted to. They could buy in more home care. But actually, if you have a fairly modest um, state pension and a fairly modest occupational pension on top, for you, that option might not be there. And then you're looking at, okay, I'm lonely, but I can't you know, kind of take a taxi to all these activities I might want to do. Uh, I can't move to uh, other things. And then I might not be able to afford the fees in these other things. And then for me, the kind of the, the big, um, when my kind of light bulb moment for me was talking to, to older people in the mid-market in New Zealand, and they were paying a 30% event fee 
uh, on the entry price. So they would only ever get back 30%, or sorry, 70% of what they paid once they left after a certain number of years. And what they said to me is, well, look around you, mate. I wouldn't be able to afford this otherwise. And that's when it clicked for me. You're basically using someone's home as an asset that makes a lifestyle possible and security possible that they otherwise would not be able to afford. And that, for me, indicates that in the mid-market, using those kind of charging models to get, get through that liquidity question, not affordability question, is actually going to be much more key than at the high end, where people might have other options of trading in assets or kind of pensions that might make that transaction yeah, work. Yeah, inevitably, people with finite resources, uh, it's, a, it's a bigger conundrum to solve. Uh, so we've, we've touched on the rental market, and I think there is probably a market for that product, certainly to fill gaps of the kind you mentioned, Sam, about uh, uh, offering people the earlier opportunity to come in uh, to, a, to a village, uh, e.g. while they're selling or to try before they buy. Uh, there, are, there will be, in my view, a rented market for retirement housing with care, although it will be probably a smaller market than the for sale market, given what you've said, Michael, about uh, that sort of desire that people have to maintain ownership and the security they feel that it brings them and the value that it's generated for a lot of people through their lives. And then there's sort of products in the middle of those two things, uh, albeit we'd like to get to that. Let's have a completely different form of tenure discussion at some point in the uh, in the future. And uh, take some time. Yeah, something that you and, and I and many others will continue to talk about. But the sorts of things we've, that I've got in mind are the sort of shared ownership models and those sorts of things. And I think we've touched on this before, but they have a role to play, but they aren't necessarily uh, a panacea. Is that fair? I think so. It's, it's got to be structured correctly. And exactly as with everything else in, in this industry, the terminology and the way it is demonstrated to people has got to be very sort of explicit and transparent. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not, I think people sometimes assume that that sort of product is, is going to just make something unaffordable, uh, suddenly affordable, without necessarily understanding some of the nuances of, yeah. of what that brings by way of cost, for example, to the customer. And the fact that if you don't own a proportion of, uh, property because it's shared ownership you have a rent to pay and those sorts of things um i think it's exactly like samantha said if if you get it right it can work really well but if you if you think of the example of um if i own a house that's worth four hundred thousand pounds let's say and uh, i move to a um shared ownership apartment where i buy only 50 percent and then i pay rent on the remaining two hundred thousand pounds now, even at a yield of, um, you know, let's say the house I sell is going to generate about 1% after, after interest is taken into account, but the provider of the rental property might charge me 3, 4, 5, 6, 7% yield. And actually, if the delta between what the capital market returns for my cash and what I'm paying out to the operator in rent, if that is a 5% difference, then I will run out of money in 15 years' yeah. time. So effectively, it increases your monthly running costs if you can't leverage in things like pension credits uh, or other kind of yeah. benefits like that. And if you use it well, I think it's a very powerful tool, but I don't think it's a be on an end all because the research does seem to suggest that older people are quite keen to control their outgoing costs and shared ownership, if you don't get it right, actually increases your, your, your ongoing costs. And that's the, that's the question. I think one thing we haven't touched on, which is starting to be spoken about a little bit, is the rent-to-rent -rent product. So you actually can maintain your, the ownership of your family home. 
uh, rent that, obviously, subject legislation, everything else that you need to do to um, comply. Um, but then you could just rent um, a retirement product. The, the, I think that's right. I think that's another good example of uh, the, the kind of thinking the sector needs to adopt to open up as much of the market to as many people as, as possible. And in, in particular, in that, in that mid-market area, as we've said, where there, are, there is a need for a more broader set of solutions to uh, a, a, narrower set of, uh, a narrower set of financial circumstances, I suppose, for the average person. So, uh, look, we've, uh, we, we've barely scratched the surface of uh, our conversation here on the uh, mid-market proposition for retirement uh, living. But uh, although we could talk for hours and, and our passion for this uh, area has probably shone through the conversation, I think we would uh, we, we, we should wrap it up there. But maybe before we finish, we could just sort of have the, the one or two things that each of you think will perhaps be the initial keys to starting to unlock some of these problems. Uh, I know that Michael and I and Samantha have talked before about the need to back stronger regulation. That conversation that we had about tenure models is, is sort of a part of that but certainly not the, the only solution. So that's certainly a, a, for an example of something that I think the sector needs to be continuously pushing towards to maintain standards. Michael, did you have anything that you could sort of throw in there that we've either talked about already or that you would add? I'd absolutely agree with the regulation point, and that's something that ARCO does a lot of work on and trying to establish sector-specific legislation really in this country that other countries already have and we don't. And the new model of tenure is part of that, and I think that's something where investing a lot of time and effort into and obviously Carl very grateful for your help in that but I think the main thing for me is really around um, I think we need to focus on the proposition more I think people need to start with what do older people want and how can I give them what they want I think too often people come to us and they say well I've got a site how do I turn a site that I can build this on will people want it and that's not the way you should do it. You should start with, you know, kind of what, 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 am, what am I as an operator going to offer? And if you get that proposition right, you can then structure it in ways, uh, whether it's rent to rent, whether it's event fees, but always bearing in mind, do people want what I have? Not how can I flog what I have to, or how can I find people for what I already have? And that's the kind of the, the turning the process of coming, you know, the development process, turning that on its head and starting with the customer is never a bad idea, I think. Fantastic. Sam? I'd agree. I mean, we've touched on flexibility and choice and what Michael said as well, is maybe we who are heavily involved in this industry need to find solutions to creating different products to suit the market, depending on location, specifics, Wells Royster, but not be blinkered in our approach. Definitely agree with that. And us thinkers will keep on thinking, I'm sure. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers, or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.